Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. Before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. Going forward, we invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we will pre-stream each episode the day before publishing it on all of our distribution channels. We also have a new NFT program with Blockchain Recorded Community NFTs. These can be claimed from our webpage, blockchainrecorded.com. So visit our website, check it out, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for new updates and potential airdrops. And today's guest is Wes Levitt. Wes is head of strategy for Theta Labs, where he works on corporate strategy, marketing and press relations, and analytics. He has been a speaker on blockchain topics at conferences like the New York Media Festival, Blockchain Connect, and NAB Streaming Summit, among others. Wes also serves as a partner at Alpha Sigma Capital, a blockchain-focused investment fund. Prior to joining Theta Labs, Wes spent eight years in investment roles in real estate equity and securitized debt. He holds a BS in economics from University of Oregon and an MBA from UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. Wes, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Hey, Nina. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I'll just start off with the usual question. Uh, how did you get into the crypto space? And I'm particularly curious about your journey to Web3 from your investment slash financy roles. Yeah, yeah, sure. That, that, that. Pretty classic uh, story, I think. I was one of the early Redditors that dabbled in Bitcoin a little bit in the early days, although I wasn't as diehard as some other folks, unfortunately, because I was more the type that bought some Ethereum at 10 and stole it at 20 and thought I was a genius. So <laughs> no, no great early crypto fortune online, but I, you know, I was working in real estate finance and, and at a, a real estate private equity firm in San Francisco, and I started going to business school at Berkeley with the mm -hmm. idea of just staying in the finance and, and business realm. But mm -hmm. when I was there, I happened to take a few classes in the computer science department 
that were sort of like a integrated classes with the business school and the law school all together, focused on cryptocurrency and blockchain tech. And I was blown away by uh, how much of the focus of the whole CS department was turning to, to blockchain. And, you know, it was standing room only to get into these classes. Even if you didn't register, people were piling in to try to get into them. This is like 2016. Oh, really? So that's kind of what the light bulb went off that this thing I've been interested in for years, but never really took it that seriously as just, you know, our, our magic internet money on Reddit, all of a sudden realized that this is getting support from all types of sectors and all types of smart folks I knew from, from different studies and practices were mm -hmm. diving headfirst into this. So that really clicked for me that this is something that actually is going to become viable and is going to get a lot more attention and funding around the world. So around then 2016 is when I decided to start looking into taking full-time steps into the space. Uh, just by luck, uh, one of my classmates happened to be interning at a VC fund that invested in Data Labs in 2017. And so I got to know the team through that and uh, yeah, joined full time in uh, late 2017 and never looked back. Wow. I'm um, just curious, the 2016 lines to get into the classes, um, did you get a sense, looking back on it, was this more of a hype sort of um, move how to learn how to get rich quick or was it true blockchain fundamental i want to build something type of sentiment yeah i think it depends on who you ask because when it really <laughs> started getting crazy was yeah around march of 2017 when ethereum went to 300 or something like that for the first time and i say it depends on who you ask because a lot of the folks were genuinely interested just because it was emerging tech so it was exciting uh, for them to move into this space. Now, there's always a little bit within that of, you know, part of getting in emerging tech is there's the opportunity for great fortune. So I, I wouldn't say anyone was doing it for strictly financial reasons, but I don't think it was lost on anyone that if this is going to change the world and you were on the ground floor, there is a lot of opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when did you join Theta Labs? Uh, so I started consulting for him in fall of 2017, and then once we, this is when Theta itself was in, in sort of stealth mode, the blockchain itself, and then I joined full-time right as we went live with it, which is I think, February 2018, actually. Okay, so it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually just, uh, I preparing for this podcast, I listened to um, one of the AMAs back in December, so your panel, it's, it seems very experienced, and it sounded like you're you've been on board for a while. But yeah, this brings me obviously let's let's talk about let's talk about theta and try to paint the macro picture to understand a little bit more what we're talking about. So theta network is a layer one blockchain platform focused on video, media and entertainment. That's what your website <laughs> says. Yeah, correct. It would be great just to focus first on the background of Theta. So, which I understand also listening to the AMA and, and doing some background research, you, it's an extended ecosystem with obviously a Theta network, and then you have Theta video and now within Theta drop with NFTs and so forth. But as I understand, its core solution is to decentralize content delivery, or more specifically, you're solving the peer-to-peer -peer video mm -hmm. content delivery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feel free, you can dissect that. But it would be great if you could just first take us through maybe the traditional content delivery network technology industry, just so we can understand the concept and then we can go from there. Yeah, sure. Our, our origin story does a good job of kind of explaining how we, how we got here. 
And it, yes, it's uh, ecosystems expanded to a lot of things that touch mm -hmm. different pieces of media and entertainment now. But at the base of it, the reason why we, we had the idea to launch Theta blockchain in the first place is because Theta actually comes out of a, a company and video platform called Sliver TV. Uh, mm -hmm. That's still the parent company uh, of, of Theta Labs, wholly owned. And um, what Sliver TV was is a, a esports focused video platform. Um, it originally solely in VR, uh, but then moving into you know, your typical linear content like you'd see on Twitch. Uh, and like a lot of early startup video platforms, what uh, even though the company was having a good deal of success, had several million MAUs, was doing live VR streams for you know, ESL and DreamHack and these big esports um, tournaments around the world, what they realized pretty quickly is that when you're not buying CDN bandwidth uh, on the scale of a YouTube or a Twitch, it's extremely expensive on a per byte basis. So it's very difficult to actually get to that point of scale because it's just far too expensive unless you're reaching the hundreds of millions of MAUs. So, and just to, the, the high level, since you asked about the, the traditional CDN, so it's companies like Akamai or, or later it's been to a great extent taken over by cloud services like AWS or Google CDN or Azure, where mm -hmm. they actually do the the, the heavy lifting of moving a video in a data center somewhere that you want to watch to your device. So if this is stored in Boston, a video you want to watch on YouTube is stored in Boston, how does it actually get from that data center to the phone you're on in Los Angeles or the computer you're on in Tokyo or so forth? Mm. So these companies basically provide the, the, the service to uh, to transmit that data across various connections to, to get to your device. It's pretty uh, cheap if you're doing it at global scale for billions of users, especially if you have your own captive CDN like a Google CDN does to power, their, to power YouTube. But to a small platform, it is quite expensive. And at one point, it was actually 50% of, of the company's burn rate, which is mm -hmm. pretty wild for uh, a startup where you expect uh, salaries and, and maybe some R&D costs are going to be really your only expense right. drivers, but it was all going to cloud services uh, or, mm -hmm. or more than half. And so we started putting our heads around, okay, this is great, but this is not scalable until we are far, far, much further down the line. So how can we uh, find a way to, to defray these costs somehow? Um, and it just so happened around that time, W1, who was at DHVC at the time, was leading the Series A in, a, in Sliver TV, and she was a big early proponent of blockchain tech. And she said, uh, well, you've got these pockets of users around the world, like hardcore fans of this Brazilian esports team that are turning in by the thousands to watch. Why not uh, take advantage of them with a peer-to-peer -peer network where they can relay the video amongst themselves with just their extra bandwidth they have available? And that's been tried a few times. You kind of you see the proto version of that in BitTorrent. But the, the key difference that we thought of with her was if you issue a token uh, as part of this protocol where if you share this video with your neighbor nearby and take some of that burden off the video platform, you can actually earn these tokens as a reward for doing so. So think of it as like a more, uh, a more firmly incentivized version of BitTorrent where you're actually, you have a reason to stay on and, and share videos rather than just um, your, it, rather than just the ability to stay on a BitTorrent, like, you know, you have to keep your ratio where you're seeding enough to justify what you're downloading. This incentivizes the user to go beyond that and actually 
stay online and continue to relay that video to everyone else in the area. And of course, to us as a video platform, the, the, the key was that greatly reduces the amount that we have to pay to AWS because the users are doing this work for it. In some case, 70, 80% less uh, bandwidth usage on our end because you share it five times to users within a given region and then they then share that video with 10 other users per person. So it quickly, just like a peer-to-peer -peer is more efficient in, in file sharing beforehand, when you've seen like the, the music sharing examples, um, it works that way for live video too, with a few tweaks, as it turns out. Mm, very interesting. So you you alluded to um, content delivery previously, just giving an example within the U.S. And obviously, you're talking peer to peer. What's what are the factors? This is a complete layperson question of what goes sort of behind the scenes. If uh, in terms of content delivery, I don't know. You know, you're you're talking a lot of um, about sort of U.S. U.S. companies. What about what about Europe? What about you mentioned Brazil? How does it, what are what are the factors? Is there any regulation factors that are involved here in terms of the content delivery, or it, it, that does not even matter? Yeah. So it, it um, as far as what content you're allowed to distribute between. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it, it all depends on uh, what the content is. So for example, like if we in the original form and Sliver TV, which in case anyone's watching is confused, it has since been renamed Theta TV. Right. If it's users streaming on the platform, when you sign up for a Theta TV or a Twitch or, or any of these, you are allowing that content to be streamed anywhere that that, uh, that platform serves. So you basically, you, you are giving the rights for that stream to be used by any user in the world. If it's something like uh, a movie from MGM or Lionsgate, like we've streamed before with licensing deals onto Theta TV, that's much more strictly uh, governed by the agreement that you license that content. So that it's not a, a, a government regulation, but the content owner, mm -hmm. when they give you the rights to that contractually, like oftentimes it would be, we have the rights to show this to users in US and Canada. And then we have to geo-block anyone that's trying to watch from an IP address outside of the places we have rights to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking of like a basic um, use case YouTube scenario, you know, like what, being able to see a YouTube video, I don't know, in Europe, but not being able to see it in the US. Yeah, I think generally the EULA for when you sign up for YouTube says like, you give the rights for anyone to, although I'm not a, totally certain on that. But I think that's basically like we, you more or less agree when you use the platform that we're going to show this to, to whoever we want. Um, right, right. Um, right. So, so who all is part of your user base now? Yeah, so it's, it's actually, it's evolved a lot because mm -hmm. quickly after we implemented the, the, the underlying blockchain in this peer-to-peer -peer video sharing protocol on Theta TV and it worked and reduced our costs, we realized mm -hmm. this is probably a lot bigger idea and, and a lot bigger opportunity for what we built here, the infrastructure, than it is to, to actually try to make Theta TV the biggest platform in the world. Because around that time, 2018, 2019, is when you also saw a huge number of uh, new video platform entrants come in with e enormous amounts of money. Like your Caffeine TV raises 200 million. There was others in Southeast Asia that were raising even more, basically trying to fight off Twitch uh, or, or YouTube and, and take it over. And what almost, virtually all of them failed 
And the reason is just there's a huge network effect to having a platform where everyone already is. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you try to launch a new one, but it's kind of like the, uh, the cold star problem or like a chicken of the egg kind of problem where you don't have users, so the content isn't there. Right. So because the content's there, no users want to come to the platform and so on. And once you are the incumbent and you already have that, that natural advantage, it's very difficult to go after. So we realized along the way that unless we wanted to go out and raise several hundred million dollars, if that was even possible for us to do so and go head to head, it's really a losing proposition to try to take on the, the largest incumbents just by trying to outspend them mm -hmm. and, and win over their users by, uh, by trying to uh, you know, pay their, their top content creators to, to switch sides over to your platforms. A lot have tried that and basically all have failed. So that's what kind of clicked for us that um, while Theta TV, we, we continue to, to build as a niche platform and as a showcase for the technology, the reality is it shifted from our customers or our, our primary users being the end user and to more of a B2B type situation where we've built this protocol that helps video platforms uh, deliver video more efficiently and introduce token incentives, which can drive user growth and user view times and such. And now really the, the users of the protocol to some extent has is, is changed to other platforms that we're trying to, to introduce this technology to. Yeah, I was, I was pretty blown away when I saw like a NASA rocket stream on using, I guess, Data TV. Yeah. It's so cool. That was. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. They've been one of our. We've done uh, a bunch of different uh, live events with their, their rocket launches. It's always been really popular. Yeah. That's that, that's just amazing. So in terms of so in terms of, OK, your user base. So a content creator can use the Theta framework to set up its own CDN, essentially. Uh, yeah, in a sense. So um, what we uh, as we expanded the protocol we also launched a standalone piece of software called the, the edge node which it's almost like instead of you all going to theta tv and and you can relay the theta tv stream with each other uh as we expanded the idea to be the be multiple platforms and different enterprises that could use this rather than you having to be a user who happens to want to watch that specific platform you could just run a piece of software that will look around for where jobs need to be done. So that, the idea is that this is sort of like an agnostic mm -hmm. piece of software where it just feeds requests and for we want this video shared or or as we're expanding, we want this piece of this file stored or we've got this video that needs to be transcoded to a different bit rate. And it's just a network of nodes that uh, you can feed jobs into and then the, the work comes back completed to you. So that's... Um, about ten to fifteen thousand uh, on a given day, usually about edge nodes that are that are running out uh, by users around the world that are doing this work. Mm. Um, yeah, let's this this is great. So it would be great to get, maybe dive into more of the the technicals. You just you just said in terms of the edge node. So by running and you alluded to this before, by running an edge node, the user shares his or her resources such as storage bandwidth and et cetera. So maybe help us grasp the concept here because um, th this also goes into basically Theta's protocol and UI-based solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it started out specifically that this uh, piece of software allows you to relay video mm -hmm. to other users when it's requested, but then it started to 
become that we have this community that's going out of their way that's saying, I have uh, a, a lot of excess bandwidth. I want to run this node and I want to do even more. You know, I've got a bunch of storage available or I have access to this cloud instance where I can ha I have cheap storage or I have processing power. How can I contribute these as well? And then it's actually, once the rails are in place, like the, the underlying token payments for doing work, it's actually not nearly as complicated to just expand what these different nodes can do. So rather than just tap into their bandwidth so they can relay video, it was um, we started to expand to, so you have extra excess storage, well, you can store these files uh, in exchange for token payments, like you've seen in other decentralized storage protocols, uh, like your file coins of the world, or uh, to do CPU tasks like uh, originally because of our background in video, it was to do encoding and transcoding of videos, but we just announced two different uh, AI startups in the last month that they want to use this distributed edge network to train language models and do various processing work for their, their AI. One's in the healthcare space and the other is called Levita and the other is called FedML for Federated Machine Learning, where they have certain tasks that they think can be done more securely if it's on a distributed network rather than all in one centralized entity like a data center. And so what, what I'm getting at is we kind of, we started with video sharing, but once you have the, the, the bones of this network in place and a bunch of users around the world with their devices connected, ready to do work, then you can kind of abstract that away and realize this is a powerful network that you can basically point it to do anything. You, you know, if there's, if you have a certain amount of, of, processing power on this network, you can just say, well, now this enterprise would like you to do this uh, AI model training, and then it just goes to it. The Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a media partner with the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative. Our collaborative role extends to hosting topic-specific panels to facilitate discussion and perspectives within varying industries related to the Web3 space. Let us have a few words with Laurent Perello, the initiative founder. Laurent, what is the Stronger Together Challenge Initiative? First, we have to mention that it's an ecosystem initiative. In other words, a voluntary movement encompassing leading partners and projects of the Tron and BitTorrent chain ecosystem. What are the main goals of this initiative? The main goal is to demonstrate the powerful together effect. As I used to say, together is much more than a word. It's, uh, it's magic. We aim to show to the world crypto industry and beyond that the Web3 revolution is not about competition, but rather about cooperation. You know, we are really supportive, welcoming, open-minded and inclusive. It's not a marketing speech. This initiative is also a way to confirm our long-term commitment, regardless of the bear or bull market situation and our determination to keep on building every day, guided by a long-term vision and a humanistic philosophy. Thanks, Laurent, for illustrating what Stronger Together stands for. Season one of the initiative successfully ended, while season two is planned to start in December. Let me also mention that panels will be celebrated by NFT airdrops. Stay tuned for further updates. I want to take a few steps back and talk about first, um, so Theta's blockchain. When was when was it first released? Was it 2019? Yeah, uh, testnet the year before, but then uh, March of 2019 is when the, the Theta mainnet launched. And was it built on a Tendermint stack? Uh, not exactly. It, it, it's heavily, say, influenced by Tendermint. Uh, but th what actually happened is we started building off a Tendermint fork and then part of the way through for various reasons, our dev team decided to 
basically re rebuild from, from scratch and go. But uh, design-wise, it's still heavily influenced by tech. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the same uh, DPOS principles are in place and how it works. Mm -hmm. just, just reading about it and, and researching about it, um, I may be a little challenging here, but as I understand, it had an option to be validated only by 30 validators. Mm -hmm. Why was that? I mean, is wouldn't you say like 30 is not, it's kind of a low number to, to enable any kind of more decentralization. Yep. I mean, this this may be a common yep. critique <laughs> that you get a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's yeah. and it's sort of uh, it's it's a it's a journey rather than destination. It started it start it started off with just seven, uh -huh. and then it's expanded over time as we've added some enterprises like Google Cloud and and mm -hmm. Sony Europe are, are running them. Uh, a bunch of our community users. Uh, are running validators as well. Um, permit, it's permissionless, so anyone can join. And 30 is an arbitrary cap, but in order to, it, or at least our, our current thinking from, from our dev team's theoretical calculations, that it can be up to 100 without starting to introduce latency issues. And so that'll keep expanding over time. It'll just be the cap will be lifted and continue up until there starts to be any kind of latency issues with block propagation, which, as said, it, is expected to be around 100. Now, even 100 isn't particularly decentralized. One thing that we introduced uh, a few years back is to, uh, sort of a second step in that process where anyone with a much lower barrier to entry can run a second form of node called a guardian node. And the way it works simply is the validator nodes propose new blocks. And then at checkpoints of every 100 blocks, these uh, 3,000 or so guardian nodes um, finalize them. And so it, it's the idea is to try to, to mitigate somewhat the, the, the scalability trilemma here where you can still have a fast confirmation from a smaller set of validator nodes, but if they were to be compromised or, or they all collude with each other, then this larger decentralized set on a somewhat wider time frame can uh, refuse to finalize those blocks and roll it back. So it's kind of like a, a, a checks and balances here. Okay. Okay. Can you talk about the difference between, so the original L1 mm -hmm. and the meta chain? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's not technically a new chain that launched. It's more like a, a, a fork that upgraded it because the what it did is introduce the the possibility to launch sub-chains that then roll up to the uh, the original L1. And so right. it could be a little confusing, but the meta chain is more just a, a term to denote the whole set of the, 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 main, the main chain and all the subchains underneath it. But the main chain of this meta chain system is the same L1 that's been running since 2019. There is no uh, token swap or, or any change to users. It was just the same address and, and chain that you've seen the whole time. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of clarify. I mean, I know that the L1 is scaled with subchains. Um, just sort of wanted to get to what the use case was. I mean, are we talking about others building their own applications using Theta subchains? Yeah. Also. Yeah, exactly. the 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 plan with um, some of the announced launch partners that are that are in the process of building those right now is mm -hmm. that this just um, two big things we focused on for launching this in response to feedback is scalability and flexibility or customizability, maybe you'd say. So one, like you said, is, is scalability because uh, you can have app-specific chains that anyone can launch and then you're not fighting over uh, uh, throughput. And you know, in some cases, like there's a, there's a game, Fuse Wars, that 
that is building their first subchain, but you know has said in the in the future they may spin up any number of them if they need to as their their needs increase. So it's a scalability thing for one. Um, the second is uh, that each subchain has some more flexibility in how you can set parameters for it. So like with you know we talked about that how the validator set works in yes. on the main chain. For your given subchain, you can issue your own governance token uh, for that subchain and have your own validator set. You can decide whether it's completely permissionless. You can decide if you want your validators to be on a permissioned basis where it's only run by certain people. So it's more like, um, you know, there's, there's various ways you can configure an L1 and it may serve better some people or some enterprises and not so well others. Um, what this is trying to do is saying you can have you can you can have a subchain that will function just like any L1 is EVM compatible, so everything rolls up the same regardless of whether it's on the subchain, main chain, etc. Right, that was one of my questions. Yeah, yeah, and you can set some of these parameters: how gas is paid, how validators uh, the validator set works yourself. Customize it however you think works best for your project or your business or whatever it is you're building for. Mm -hmm. And then that can all roll up to the, the, the Theta main chain. So it shares in the security uh, of each of these because that's a big issue as well. Is you know, you, you, everyone can start up a fork of, if you like Theta but you want to have your own fork of it, you can do that. But there's no security if the total valuation of the governance token is like $50,000. Anyone can take it over. But if it rolls up to the security of the Theta main chain, it's still going to cost you hundreds of millions, if not more, to uh, to actually pose a threat to the to, to, to the security of the chain. Okay, I, I may backtrack a little bit here. Who who can, in terms of the validation incentive model, who can validate the meta chain? And well, actually, what is the validation incentive model? Yeah, so um, there's a. Uh, Two token, main tokens in the, uh, we say native tokens in the Theta ecosystem. Anyone can create their own and similar to any other L1 that you're familiar with. But the two ones that are native to the, the blockchain itself are Theta, which is the staking token, which uh, every validator guardian stakes. Mm -hmm. Proof of stake, yeah. Yeah, and then Theta Fuel, which is the gas token of the protocol. Similar functions as most people are familiar with, but it's split into two uh, as opposed to both being in one and say ETH where you will stake it and use it to pay for gas. Mm -hmm. To uh, run a validator node, um, anyone can do it with uh, 200,000 theta. You just have to stake that amount of theta. And then the incentive is that you earn pro rata the new theta fuel gas token that's created with each block. So it, it's actually, it's uh, less complex than it sounds. It's really the same as, as most proof of stake protocols where you earn a percentage of the new issuance. Sure. It's just split into the form of two tokens as opposed to all of that being wrapped within the, the one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, the theta and then the one that's solely used for gas. Yes, yes, that's right. Is there, will there be any additional tokens associated with MetaChain or is that sort of where you're where you're at? Yeah, there's no new token that needs to be associated with, and, and to be clear, at the native level, but anyone who, oh, many of these are, are Virtually all they're running a subchain. They're issuing a new token of their own, the TNT twenty token, similar to an ERC twenty standard, to govern their subchain. But that's we distinguish between the ones that are actually hard coded into the protocol, the staking and the gas token, and the ones where they're just launched via smart contract. Mm -hmm. So, like if you run, a, you know, blockchain recorded wants to spit up their own subchain, you issue your own. 
the BRP token that governs uh, that subchain that is still going to be issued via smart contract in the same way that, like if you think in terms of Ethereum, ETH is not issued via smart contract. It's, it's just native to the blockchain existing. Whereas, say, Chainlink, there's a Chainlink smart contract that created the, the link token. Mm-hmm. That distinction is that there will only ever be Theta and Theta Fuel as native tokens to the protocol. But yeah, there's already dozens and I'm sure hundreds uh, in the works that will be issued via smart contract, just like you've seen proliferate in, in other uh, other L1s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. I think I've, I probably picked your brain in terms of the technicals. Oh, good. But it does, it, it helps to understand. I mean, we've got, we have an array of listeners and anywhere from the newbies, normies to people who want to understand a little bit more. So it's definitely helpful to to, to dive deeper. So you did mention, okay, it's EVM interoperable, and I'm assuming you're you're inviting other dApps. Yeah, that's right. Um, part of it is inviting others to, to build on Theta, but even even besides that, you know, we're not looking to raise a, a war chest and pay every dApp out there to flip, as you saw in sort of these DeFi wars with some of the L1s the last year or so. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, also just about uh, being compatible across chains because there's there's dApps that are going to touch different chains and different user bases and it's just simpler for them to be able to look at it Theta as another integration as opposed to uh, us versus them. And I think that's going to be a, a key theme in general moving forward in the next years because it's, you know, it, I think the narrative in some people's minds the last few years is you have ETH and there's ETH killers. And one of them will take the place as the one chain to rule them all. But it's becoming clear that that's just not going to happen. No, or if it, right. I mean, it never say never, but if it, if it was going to, it, it probably would have already. And now you see even more that different L1s with different specifications or different uh, focuses to serve different communities are, are coming up and getting traction. So we think it's, it's probably going to be a situation where these will all coexist and it make a lot more sense if we can all communicate with each other rather than be these walled gardens fighting over uh, exactly you know trying to steal this app to come over to ours when really it can live on both yeah you know, like like tether and USDC I think that really drove home the point to a lot of folks that you know if you have a, a, a token or a dap it's going to coexist across many different chains. It's not just going to live on one and, and if it ever moves, it's a big transfer over. It, it, it's going to live across both. And if, if if the majority of these chains are EVM compatible, that does simplify a lot of that communication. No, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely healthier to think about it that way. It shouldn't be so cutthroat. That sort of goes with the ethos also of Web3. <laughs> we, we want to be coexist and yeah. and collaborate and be happy <laughs> and su- support each other, right, right. not kill each other. So And obviously push to educate and to, to motivate. So, all right. So I guess I think we covered the technicals. Um, you know, listening to, to one of your AMAs, I was... Uh, it's it's always been sort of on my uh, bucket list to understand how how the video streaming and how how these business models work, how YouTube works in the in the, in the background, and what it all means in terms of the blockchain tech. Now, it was really interesting for me to hear, you know, as a as a user, you know, what's going on in terms of Netflix and some of the competitors, and, and where you guys are in with with your Theta network. Can you talk maybe a little bit more about that as well? 
One of the interesting things that was mentioned was how, you know, users now that were burned out by just having too many subscriptions, you know, now we're getting in, again into the subscription model conversation. We're, I mean, we're taking a little bit of a twist here, but you're covering so many different um so many different subsets within your ecosystem. So just anything you can share, that would be, um, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you, as you alluded to, you probably read about the, the larger streaming wars going on, or even just as a user, you know, you've seen this, like now you've got eight or nine that you got to subscribe to. And then you right. have to play the game of, you know, you sign up for Disney plus to watch and Lauren, then you cancel it, but then you want to watch Last of Us, so you got to go sign up on this one. And right, um, you want to watch certain things for certain ones. Yeah, and I, and I would argue, just sorry to interject, but I mean, I'm also based in Europe, so what we're talking about is, um, well, at least I find um, it's very more of a U.S. centric conversation in terms of you know Disney and all these all these players. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Europeans don't watch as much TV. But yeah, I mean, you you can you hear it, you read it, and sure. Yeah, yeah, and and it's gotten absurd enough that there's people talking about well, maybe if there's someone that can offer a service bundling several of these together, mm-hmm. and that's just cable. That's what we were trying to get away with away from the last twenty years. So it, it, right. it's clear it's it's not a it's not it doesn't seem to be going in a direction that customers actually like. And so one of the things that we think is really excited about introducing token models to that mm-hmm. is one, it, it gives a platforms a chance to offer a, a model that is more in line with a pay as you go or watch what you want. And only, you know, with these protocols, you can tell what's being watched. It's not, so you don't have to pay for something you're not watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the one that we're seeing kind of emerge in, in some platforms that we're working with. The more interesting thing to me is even beyond that, uh, once you start allowing users the flexibility or companies the flexibility to experiment with these token business models, mm-hmm. we have no idea what they're going to come up with. And it's, uh, it's open source and, and iterative, just like the blockchain world. So if you see a platform that creates uh, a new model via, let's say, a loyalty token where this earns you the right to watch a certain uh, user's content or a certain uh, company's content, or maybe it's, it gets you a certain amount of, of hours per month or something like that and with uh, a, a single NFT that gives you the right programmable rights to what you can or can't watch. There's probably interesting new models that they're going to come up with as they start iterating that we haven't even considered yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, giving them that flexibility and and it, encouraging this experimentation, just like you see experimentation like in DeFi, where it just mm-hmm. builds and builds and builds upon itself way more than people probably had ever even envisioned when it was just MakerDAO starting out. Um, right. I, I think that's what's going to create a, a really exciting change in how these companies are delivering video to it. And um, I, I like to use an example of one called Replay. That's a, mm-hmm. a startup that we led the uh, seed round for. Uh, and they've since launched uh, a video platform called Rewarded TV. And okay. they are actually kind of combining this, this crypto iterative model but with token incentives, but with traditional content because they come from uh, a traditional video background and they've struck licensing deals with a lot of great Hollywood studios. But then they're using uh, the token rewards with this this token they launched on Theta Blockchain to incentivize users and now uh, starting to implement where you can use this token to pay for content you want. You don't pay for content you aren't watching. 
And so I, I think they're, they're my favorite to watch around is basically like this is the, the great experiment they're doing. And I'm sure, you know, every time I, I check in with them, they've come up with a new way that they're going to let users experience content via these new token incentives. And so I, I think it's just going to be a really exciting time of experimentation among these businesses to try different things and see what's more satisfactory for users beyond um, the, the subscription model. And they can do it a lot faster because these startups can very quickly spin up a different idea that then say uh, the lead time for uh, a Netflix or a Disney to change their model. You know, it took Netflix 10 years to decide to do an ad tier. Right. Again, like it's, it's just the pace is a totally different, totally different world. I mean, just watching Netflix, I feel like it's stagnating just by just by its sort of user interfa interface anyway. But but what you just said, yeah, token economy, the genie's outside the box, right? So the token economies looks like it's the way to go. I think in terms of being consumer or, or just user focused is that making it easy for people so it's not so confusing and so complicated. And I think a lot of people just feel like, this is just too much. There's so many. I don't know. I don't know which ones to choose. You know, uh, of tokens. Um, just in just in general, <laughs> as a user, just 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 trying to, like you said, in terms of having subscriptions. Just I'm going back and and just basic. You know. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's just um, it's, it can be overwhelming. But yeah, making it easy, user friendly for you know, the grandmas out there. Yeah, yeah, that's why I, I thought you yeah. meant in the first place is making it easy on the crypto side, which is 100% true. You know, I'm not I'm not an ideologue in crypto in the sense that I, I, I don't think that the way you onboard each user is by first teaching them about a wallet address and private keys. <laughs> Otherwise, none, none of them are going to be using these platforms. Right. The vast majority of people... It's not even just that they're ignorant no. of this stuff. They don't. They don't want to know about it. They don't care. <laughs> we're, we're never going to to have that killer app mm -hmm. that uses blockchain under the hood if we're you know demanding that they they first take a blockchain course and understand it. Just like I don't, you know, you and I don't need to understand the the bare basics of how like TCP/IP works in order to use the internet, and I, I don't, I don't think all of us should have had to learn that just to to get on a Zoom call. Same, <laughs> same, yeah, same, same principle. Well, here. there's some <laughs> who yeah, want to know, yeah, yeah. but that's like that's that's not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and it shouldn't be a requirement. Like that, obviously, the world is better if more people under, understand how it works. But we can't expect everyone to no. to dig in that deep, and so. Yeah, it's a like with replay and 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 some of these like we we always encourage them to you know treat it like a like an onion. You know, like the the first users, the frontline users, they shouldn't have to know anything more about crypto if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. You allow them to peel back layers if they want to understand deeper about how it works, or maybe for more advanced users, then they have access to their own wallet and then they can withdraw tokens. But you don't hit them with all that in the first ten seconds of of introing your video platform because at the end of the day, a video platform, if someone shows up on your website, it's because they want to watch video, right. not because they want to learn, learn about crypto. <laughs> now, if, they, if they're excited about all these benefits they're earning and now um, how this token can be used in other ways or, or this mm -hmm. other platform also says if you have our play tokens, you can now get this content over here. Great. Yes. Now, here's a page that teaches you all about this that you click through to it. But starting from the wrong place if you the first thing that they have to do is connect their metamask wallet just to watch the first video that's crazy well that's a big barrier of trust and 
um, yeah, I mean, that's a big barrier to, to, to break, right? Just, just to hook someone to, to actually go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've covered MetaChain, we've covered Theta Network, um, talked about Theta, well, there's also Theta Video. Is that different from Theta TV? Uh, so we have a, our, I think, uh, our Theta Video API. Oh yeah, that's API, that's for devs. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. so it's it's really any any user can can use it to submit videos and then get back a link where they can embed that on a, a website or in an app. Oh, I see. But it is somewhat more developer focused because, you know, like like Replay is using Theta Video API for significantly their, the, the, the majority of their, uh, virtually all the video on Rewarded TV. So you can use it to construct a whole platform mm-hmm. um, or you could do it one off. You know, if you just wanted to embed something on like on the BRP website, you could do that with it. So some users are using it for individual purposes or just to experiment. But yeah, I, I, I think going forward, a lot of the the main usage of that will be in a more experienced developer who they're creating actually a, a platform with that underlying it. Okay. Um, and in, ter- in terms of Theta TV, can you talk a little bit more about the business model behind it? I mean, can so you said anyone can publish video content is... Are there now? I don't. I'm just 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 thinking of basic questions. Are there any costs associated with it? Yeah, there's no co- there's no costs associated, but um, yeah, we keep it as basically to to for the existing community that that uses it regularly and has been for years, and and like I said, as a, a sort of a playground or, or testing ground for for new features that are rolling out. So it, there is some ad supported revenue okay. that we get from that, but really it's not much of a cost center or a, a, a revenue driver for it. It's more just, this is beneficial to the ecosystem for us to be able to have this to show off um, how new features are working to roll them out. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, we're, we, we don't have any plans to drive a huge amount of marketing dollars to it. And so it, in its present state, it doesn't cost a, a, a whole lot to, to maintain it. Okay. It, we're, we're, not, we're more focused on giving our partners and platforms like Reward TV to give them the tools for success than to, to make Theta TV take off. I see. And then we have our last musketeer, which is Theta Drop. So that's an NFT marketplace. Yeah, that's right. And um, this is where all the big names come in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's we, we're having a lot of these conversations with mm-hmm. uh, on the infrastructure side and where frequently that conversation would go would be like, that's really interesting. That's also a huge undertaking for us to totally change our stack here. Mm-hmm. But also we've, you know, remember this conversations were often happening in the last 18 months or 18, 24 months. So you know, your American Idols and and Katy Perry and other clients of CAA because CAA was one of our seed investors saying, that's all great. We also want to launch NFTs. So can you, you know, you guys have this blockchain. Is that capable of that? And we said, well, of course it is. It's EVM compatible. But, you know, they're, they're not going to launch the smart contracts themselves. So we started to realize, okay, we're getting a huge amount of inbound interest from people that want to launch these NFTs with us. So it makes sense to build a, a, a platform to support that as well. And then a lot of our community rushed in and started releasing their own NFT projects, which was really cool to see those come up organically. So it's not, I wouldn't say... It's not core exactly to what we're building with decentralized video and compute and such and, and supporting these platforms, but it does make a lot of sense because so many of the same enterprises also are looking at NFTs as a big part of their strategy. So 
it, it made sense for us to fill the gap. And, and we also look at it as a good way to build what we, we now think of as more like a, a suite of decentralized products that media and entertainment can use. There's the infrastructure side. There's a consumer side with the token economies. There's NFTs for those launching the collections. So anything in the blockchain space that a, a media or entertainment company might want to touch on, we're trying to pl- provide a platform. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that works all together too. Like again, in the case of like a, a replay, they, they use both seamlessly where they're issuing NFTs that uh, fit into their video platform. And so we think that's a model where that while the, the generative PFP collections don't necessarily fit inside of it, a lot of these companies are looking at NFTs less as just like a, a profile pick to collect and show off on Twitter and more as something that has more utility and is, is actually part of their, their whole consumer reaching strategy. So to that extent, we, we, we think encouraging those the use cases and showing how NFTs can be useful totally fits right in with what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, great. I think we've you've you've covered um, you've covered your ecosystem pretty clearly. <laughs> what can we expect, or or in, in terms of the, your roadmap? Given well, we're February, so like, what's in store for for the next year? Yeah, the the biggest focuses we have are um, continuing to build out this edge network and giving it more ability to basically have different different use cases. So, like I said, storage is a one that we're expanding this year so that uh, video files can be stored across this decentralized network or even the NFTs themselves um, can be stored, not just uh, have the, the token exist on, on the, the, uh, the blockchain, but the actual picture or the video that underlies it also to be stored on this decentralized network. You probably have heard the, the case where, you know, like the, the, <laughs> the storage bucket goes down and you've got an NFT that's immutable, but it points to a dead link. So what do, what do you actually have anymore? So moving even the thing it points to, whether it's a picture, video, whatever it is, on uh, not on chain, but but on this decentralized network as well. So it's it's truly immutable too. That's going to be a storage uh, focus on the storage element. And then uh, yeah, with our MedChain rollout, we're helping a lot of different firms and uh, and community projects that are building out their own subchains. And so on the dev side, we're we're working with their teams to to get those spun up and, and get those off the ground to help them launch their own ecosystems on these subchains. How many devs do you have? On our team internally, it is twelve or thirteen, I believe, right right around there. Okay. So we're uh, we're still quite small. That's why we we have a focus on um, you know collaborating with other projects that are building in the space because we're. We're definitely not taking the approach of we're to get, we're going to build it all ourselves. We try to to build the core the core chain and the tools needed for for others to to build around us. So we see that as a, a way to use other other talented developers as like a force multiplier because you know obviously twelve people by themselves can't build a, can only build so much. But you know we, th- we think that fits with the the. The ethos of the space as well. We're not a big, we're not a big closed source company that's going to do it all ourselves. We're going to be working together with a lot of folks. Well, that's the way to go. Yeah. Is uh, I wanted just to so yeah so your dev team is about twelve thirteen and you're you're so you're based in Europe. What's the decision behind that? Are you um, is there a big theta community where you are or 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a bit personal and and for uh, for Theta. So um, I was based in the Bay Area, like most of our team, but um, right in the um, we were obviously working for home for for years, really. Um, <laughs> in that some time, some of us still are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and some of our team is still distributed as well. And so uh, at the time, my my wife got an offer from Microsoft, but the last minute they decided she. Uh, uh, instead of San Francisco, they wanted her based somewhere in Europe. Since she's from I Europe, originally speaks four languages. So they said, you'd be more useful over here, <laughs> which would have yeah. been a tough call uh, in other circumstances. But we had already, our team had already been moving to working distributed in the first place. And we'd been talking for, for years about how the Theta community over in Europe and some of the companies that we've been talking to say, we never come over here. Yep. And yep. so it actually worked out nicely because... Um, it was no problem at all from a corporate standpoint since we wanted to be more distributed in the first place. And then it's given me an opportunity to spend more time out here with uh, the Theta folks out here. So like we're, we're talks of organizing more Theta meetups up here. I've been able to hit, mm-hmm. uh, spend more time at the conference, check it out here and spread the word. So it's, it's been uh, a good move overall. Well, kudos to that because, um, you know, most of in terms of guests and, and talks and yeah, it's very it's mostly U.S. centric, so it's it's really good to also hear that it's there's also distribution overseas. I mean, obviously, it's not just Europe and U.S. and there's Asia and other ones, but but still, it's good to have people all around. I mean, you are global, so that's a good move. Yeah, absolutely. There, we we made a few hires in Seoul recently, and some of the teams that we're working with mm-hmm. are these new. Um, and these AI projects are Singapore based, so it's just it doesn't make sense for us all to be uh, so tightly held that we all have to be in Silicon Valley. I mean, right. it doesn't hurt. There's a great ecosystem there, and there's sure. reasons why people went there in the first place. But it's a distributed space; like we have to be able to to have focus in other places as well. Well, and there's a lot of talent elsewhere too. I think that's it's that's maybe sometimes um, overlooked and. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's like a language barrier or whatever, and um, but yeah, it's you're right. It, it is a distributed space, and um, that's that's the, definitely the good way to go. Well, Wes, is there is there anything to add that I haven't asked, or is there anything else that you'd like for for our audience um, to know or to take away? Yeah, I would just say that um, as much as we spent talking about what we at Theta Labs have built, mm-hmm. it's what's really driving our ecosystem forward and it's becoming more and more true now is community projects that are coming up both in the yes ones that are launching their own tokens because that gets a lot of attention but even just like um there's community development shops like one called fuel foundry it's just a few developers that know the data stack back and uh back and forth that are now helping other projects launch in their mm-hmm. ecosystem so the, the point i want to make so if, if you're interested in learning more or getting involved there's a lot to be done and and a lot you can jump in on there's a lot of friendly folks in our community that that would appreciate more help whether you're technical or non-technical so mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to give the impression that it's uh oh, that's an exciting company building things like really we're only doing a, a one piece and over time a smaller and smaller piece it's really you know the your your listeners that want to jump in and help a, a project that are going to make a difference Sure. I think uh, one of the key words that you said was community too. So it's very important. 
what's the best way to follow your work or or give your shout contact and or participate with data yeah yeah so with it if you want to just see the the latest news or follow what's going on get updates our twitter is data mm -hmm. underscore network um or you can go to thetatoken.org to see all our links for example to to start off on our github or or uh join one of our our community channels awesome um well, Wes, thank you so much on this uh, deeper theta dive. Uh, like I said, it's it's been on my bucket list to dissect and understand actually theta's connection to the media world and let alone understand how the business and protocols behind content delivery work and live streaming networks, etc. Like I said, I, I imagine your audience is increasingly global, so which is which calls for podcast discussions like this. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us and all the best for the year ahead. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nina. Great talking to you today. Thanks, Wes. Thanks again to our guests, and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barian Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barianmusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.